People were so much meaner in the 90s, but they didn't have cell phones, so I don't know if there's a connection. Uh, I really want to congratulate both our winners with the uh, Christmas uh, ugly sweater. I, man, I had a beautifully ugly sweater from last year. I was planning on wearing it, and it's got a sloth on it, and my daughter loves it, and we couldn't find it anywhere, so I went with the moose. Not quite as good. Um, and I also wanted to congratulate you, Hayden, especially because um, if you didn't know, Hayden actually wears this every week. And this is, <clears throat> this is the one week of the year it's socially acceptable. So I really wanted to thank you for doing that. <laughs> good job. Uh, welcome to Whitewater. We're so glad you're here. Um, if you're new, we just want you to know this is a place you can belong before you believe. You can explore faith, build relationships as you step into faith. And our goal is just to help every person take the next step in their journey. And everyone's unique. Um, and we just want to help you take that next step for you. And uh, today, I just want to jump right into, um, right into the sermon. Last week, uh, we looked at the nativity story, the, the birth story of Jesus, and we just took off some of the stained glass that often gets put over the, uh, the, the Bible verses, or the story becomes so familiar about Jesus, we just kind of hear it in, in our cultural, social, political, religious lenses kind of sometimes blind us from what's going on. So today, I wanted to, again, take off some of the uh, stained glass the religious, political, social stained glass, and, and just look at the beginning of um, Jesus' life through the, through the eyes of one of his biographers named Matthew, the book of Matthew. So uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6, and if you have your Bible you can turn there, uh, you can follow along behind me on the screen. Um, before I, I, I read that, that scripture though, um, it's about Jesus' family. Um, it's about his ancestry. It's like his ancestry.com. They start going through his family. We're going to read through some crazy names. We're not going to go too long, just six verses. There's more. We're just going to look at those six. Um, but <laughs> I, have this, I have this friend, um, uh, whenever someone starts talking about their family, um, most people, when they talk about their family, they talk about the good bits and the good memories and the good people. And, um, you know, like when grandma knits sweaters and, you know, whenever I see lights, you know, out at Christmas time, it reminds me of my grandparents' home or my great-grandparents. You guys ever had friends and you ever talk about your family and you, like, have nostalgia? I have this one friend, whenever people are talking about nostalgia or, like, how much they love grandma's uh, pudding and, or cake, cake or whatever, he, he always shares these stories that are just like shockingly uh, not nostalgic. It's just like, it just, and, and he just shares them. So like someone will be like, yeah, man, I love the, the knitted sweaters my grandma would make when I was a little kid. They're amazing. And, and he'd be like, um, yeah, my, uh, my great-grandfather was a conman and um, he got into the, the hearing aid business right when it was starting and he made so much money, total conman. And they'd be like, is there anything else you loved about your great-grandpa? Nope, that's it. That's a story. Or, or, or someone would be like, um, someone would say, you know, my, my family, when they came over, we were Italian, and we have this Italian background, and, and uh, that's why we have this great food that's Italian. Here's the dish. And, and my, my friend would be like, oh, yeah, my, uh, my family were these, the, these Irish guys who snuck over from Ireland and became horse thieves. Anything else to the story? No, but they were really good at stealing. And I, I need to rethink our friendship here. Um, we're going to jump into Matthew's account of Jesus. 
uh, ancestry, his genealogy, and, and he, there's a reason he does this, and I want us to be asking the question, why is Matthew sharing this genealogy? This is, um, Jesus had an adoptive father, um, Joseph, um, and uh, this is Joseph's background. So Jesus was adopted into this family. Mary was a part of the same tribe, so her family genealogy was very uh, similar because they were part of the same tribe. And uh, so here we go, Matthew 1, 1 through 6. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. This is a genealogy, an ancestry of the king. Matthew's job is to tell us about how amazing Jesus is and he's the king. He needs to prove to the world through the stories of Jesus and show them how amazing this man was who, who was uh, sent by God, who was God's son. And so this is how he starts out his story. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Isn't this a page turner? Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, not Sarah, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Did you know that? Bet you didn't. Hezron was the father of Ram. (laughs) I wonder what he was like, Ram, real Rammy. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. I'm trying to resist dad jokes right now. <laughs> Be fishy if I did. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Isn't this so interesting? Like he, this is how he's starting out the story of the king Jesus. Jesse was the father of King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife, and it goes on from there. Just those six verses give us uh, some really key things to hone in on. Uh, they, they, if we're like from the first century, if we weren't from, you know, uh, 2019, but we're from the first century, we'd begin asking questions. Why is Matthew starting off with the genealogy? Why is he doing Ancestry.com? Why does he mention some of these people in this story? Because some of the people that are in this story are not like kingly ancestors. They got all kinds of problems. If you know, there's some names in here, if you know any of the biblical narrative, like there's some, there's some really crummy people. There's some people that are like, these are outsiders. Why is he mentioning? They're not Jewish. They, they came from families and from places that were enemies of the Jews. Like why would he, why is he mentioning these people? Um, doing Ancestry.com can be kind of funny. My um, brother-in-law, uh, Brian, my, my wife's brother, Brian, he, he did Ancestry.com and he came and he showed the family and he's like, look, we're Northern European, We've got a lot of like uh, Finnish and Danish and, you know, he started going through all the Scandinavian blood they had and, and my wife was like so interested and she was like, you know what, I need to go get my Ancestry.com too. And her mom looked at her and she's like, Sarah, you have the same ancestry as your brother. <laughs> to which her dad from the back seat said, you better have the same ancestry. <laughs> So, <laughs> I hope my wife wasn't in here for that one. So I just want to look at uh, four quick areas in this genealogy just to, just to really dig in. Judah, it says in verse 3, was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. 
So it's, it's, not, it's not typical that when they would list genealogies that they would talk about the women. It was in a more patriarchal society and they would usually focus on the men. But in this narrative, he brings up uh, several female, um, some people might call them leaders and, and in this culture some might say like this is a reason he shouldn't be king. This is a reason he shouldn't be God. So why does, why does Matthew bring it up? So I'm just going to re- read a few of them and bring up to speed if you didn't know who they were. But uh, Tamar, um, uh, Tamar was uh, in, the, in the story of, uh, of Jesus and she would be known as, we'll just call her a woman of ill repute. That's what my grandpa likes to use, that terminology. She was a woman of ill repute, but she's mentioned. She's a part of Jesus' family. Jesus' family is from her. Uh, down in um, verse five with our favorite guy here, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know who Rahab was? Rahab helped uh, Jewish spies when they went into Jericho, but she was like in the red light district and she owned probably what we call a brothel. She was another woman of ill repute. And she's a part of Jesus' story. And Matthew thinks, hey, it's good to bring this up. He's like my friend. Like, yeah, I've got Irish horse, horse thieves in my family. They get brought up here. Um, but then, so you start thinking, well, maybe like he's highlighting how many sinners are in Jesus' family. That could be the case. But then you read the next one. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Uh, Ruth was known as a noble woman, faithful. She wasn't Jewish, but she was faithful. She, there's a whole book called Ruth. You should read it. It's amazing. And um, she's a part of Jesus' ancestry. Um, so it's not just sin. And then David fathered Solomon. This is in verse six. Uriah's wife. And Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. Bathsheba never, um, she wasn't someone who had done any sinful thing. David had, her, had committed adultery and, and forced himself into the situation where he had her husband killed. David, King David that you know, everyone would talk so highly of, like he's the son of King David, had sinned and had pulled this poor woman and destroyed her family. And that's part of Jesus' lineage, his ancestry. So Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites, not Jewish. Ruth was a Moabite, not Jewish. Bathsheba was most likely Hittite. They were all enemies of the Jewish people. I think Matthew is saying, yeah, there's sinners in Jesus' background. Like he's got kind of a sordid ancestry and there's people who are bright spots and people who are low spots. Can anybody relate with their family? How about your life? High, low lights and hopefully some, some, some bright spots. But, but one of the key things is that Jesus is being, he's being shown that his family have people who are outsiders, who are not Jewish, who are Gentiles. Right at the beginning, that's really bizarre. Why would Matthew put that in here? They're nobodies, they're embarrassing stories. Why would he put them to introduce the world to the king of the Jews, the son of God? Well, I think to know that there's an interpretive key and for us to understand chapter one, we gotta jump to the last chapter, chapter 28. All right, I don't wanna bore you guys and trust me, I'll get through this fairly quickly and then we can worship and get ready for Christmas Eve, but, but I hope this has some meaning for us here today. So check this out. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verse 19 through 20. Follow up on the screen behind me. But it starts off saying this, go and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. 
this is the interpretive key. You know that you're onto a, a theme, a right theme. If, if the beginning of the book has it and the end of the book talks about it, you know it's a major theme, right? Like with my wife, if she starts with a, something in a conversation and then she ends with it, I know I should be paying more attention. Amen? Men, amen? All right. I wanted to single anybody out, but I did. Um, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. You remember at the beginning of Matthew, for those of you who weren't here last week, they called him Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus here says, behold, I am with you always. Go and make a family, you're going to be part of creating the family of God, and it's, a, it's an all-inclusive family. Anybody can be part of it. In fact, it's so inclusive. Look how Jesus' story actually started. You want to, you want to try to paint a picture of Jesus as like this pure racial Jewish perfect king with this perfect family. He like, look at how jacked up his family is. Look how like, how many different ethnicities are woven into his family his family line, Matthew is, he's teaching us uh, the importance of inclusion in the family of God. These names aren't told to embarrass, but to clue us into what God was doing in Jesus. The whole world and the enemies of the Jews, like their enemies included, were included in Jesus' blood so that he would live and die to include the whole world and then send his disciples into the whole world. Isn't that powerful? So he lived and died and gave his blood for the whole world when he died on the cross. But we have to remember, Matthew's also saying he didn't only give his blood for the world, he got his blood from the world. In his veins, Jesus had the blood of outsiders and sinners. He, he, was, he is the, the international foreigner king you know, all these people that should be excluded from the family of God, but he demonstrated with his life and even before he was born, his lineage, his ancestry was pointing to what God wanted to do. It's significant that Matthew starts the story with what seems like bad news about Jesus, embarrassing news about Jesus, being a bunch of outsiders, sinners, international foreigners and Gentiles who are to be excluded but then Matthew turns it into good news for every single one of us who come from mixed backgrounds and mixed and up and down histories. And, and I'm not talking ethnically, I'm talking just like life-wise, history-wise. Stuff where we look at and say, I'm not proud of my actions or I, I'm proud of this but not that. We're like all a mixed bag, amen? Matthew turns the, Jesus' story into good news that God has always been planning to create a radically inclusive family for God. And they're commissioned, all of his disciples, you and me who begin following Jesus, are commissioned to reach the world that Jesus died for. Jesus was the mixed racial savior of the world international foreign blood coursed through his veins, an unlikely family heritage of outsiders foreigners and female leaders Jesus might you know like there's the saying Joseph and Mary might not have been around if Rahab didn't protect and join the lineage of Jesus all of these dominoes fell God was at work I think that's so powerful 
And here's the, I think one of the most powerful things is the cross is connected to the birth. Jesus' blood from all the nations was spilt for all the nations. And all are invited into the family of God. Everybody. The gospel is good news for everybody, right? Everyone's invited. Not everyone's gonna accept the invitation, but everybody's invited over and over. And you can, re- you can resist, you can reject it, you know, for part of your life, seasons of your life, your whole life. But even at the very end, if there's a moment where you're like, I wanna accept that invitation, you can be part of the family of God. It's for everybody. God doesn't wanna leave anybody out. And this reality destroys racism, sexism, exclusivism, puts bigotry and division to death. If you follow Jesus, you follow someone of an unlikely mixed background whose ministry was inclusion to outsiders and sinners. So, I want to bring you to one other passage. What does this mean? What does this change? And and, and I want to get really practical, but I first want to read this small passage in Joel. This is Joel chapter 2 chapter 2. It's also in Acts, um, the book of Acts, when they talk about the work of the Spirit. When Jesus died and was raised back to life, God launched the church that was going to be multi-ethnic, multicultural, um, and he launched it for the whole nations with all kinds of people, with all kinds of sin and all kinds of problems. Sounds like a messy hospital of sinners, right? God starts this thing and launches it, and he says, it's going to be led by my Spirit. Check out what he says about the Spirit. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Also, let me be picking out, if you can, listen for areas where the world is divided, walls and barriers of division that Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is unifying. Listen for these. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on servants, men, and women alike. Where, like what's going on in this kind of community? Well, I I think Jesus is creating a community of unusual unity. Unusual unity. And that, that means unity doesn't mean sameness. Jesus is bringing oneness, unity, inclusion. It doesn't mean sameness, that we're all the same. It actually means that we're like, well, we've talked about it before, like a mosaic has all these little pieces that are chips and broken pieces that create this bigger picture. And it's unified in the big picture, but it's unique and distinct in every single imprint, every single piece of the mosaic. Just like every single person here has a different personality, different background, different like essence, different um, history, different perspective, but we're unified as a church. God is calling us to that kind of unity. Sometimes we're not, right? But we wouldn't say that disunity and hatred of one another is the direction we want to go. Would we agree? Well, in this passage, I think that, that, that Joel identified four key barriers that Jesus unifies, that he reconciles in our broken and divided world. And I would just put out, I think we live in a world that, that at times, and especially recently, is so polarized and polarizing and has so much division. Jesus brings unity to this and inclusion. Check this out. When he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, what, what division is being unified and included there? All people. Well, for sure, all, ethnically, there's a wall being. This is ethnic inclusion. 
You don't have to just be Jewish to be part of the, Jew, the Jesus thing. I'm, I don't have Jewish ancestry that I know of, but I'm so grateful that Jesus, who was Jewish, allowed it so I can come in by dying on the cross for me. Isn't that amazing? So there's ethnic inclusion. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What's that? Gender inclusion. Gender inclusion. Which is, that's, Matthew is so bizarre. Like, who writes women into the story like this in his day and age? Matthew does, because he wants to say they're, they have been, women have been integral <laughs> to the survival of the species and the lineage of Jesus, and there have been leaders in it. Over and over in the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, there have been leaders, and there's gender inclusion. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It doesn't say just your sons will prophesy. I know sometimes people want to just read it that way, but this is what the Bible says. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. What's that? Generational inclusion. Generational inclusion. And I think this is so powerful. You're old and you're young. There's, a, there's often like generational gaps where fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and families can have tensions that are generational or great-grandparents, uh, you know, great-great-great-great-grandparents. There can be themes of hurt and harm and pain and hurt people, hurting people, hurting people over the, the generations and in their ancestry. And, and Jesus wants to rele- release a spirit of unity and inclusion that, that brings generational inclusion and wholeness and oneness. And I, I, I come from a more evangelical background, but God's been at work in the church throughout the centuries. And, and the um, Orthodox Church is one church that is uh, one branch of the church that they've really understood the generational thing. See, when, 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 we, when I, I come from back home, when I hear Jesus saying, go into <clears throat> all nations, I think horizontally like we need to go all into all the nations we need to reach as many people as we can anybody everybody I think ethnic you know we got to get past any of those barriers and this is a Jesus community and the color of your skin doesn't matter it's the color of your blood and that it's the same color that Jesus spilled for you and me but the orthodox church they they had another dimension that my tradition misses sometimes in the orthodox tradition they see the, the call to make disciples everywhere, not just horizontally, but vertically. That when someone encounters Christ or someone enters a life with God that wasn't with God, when the Rahabs and the Tamars and the Ruths and the, you know, these other people who are outsiders become insiders, that, that it doesn't just change their life, it changes their whole family. That a whole legacy that might have been totally broken, addicted, hurt, gets pulled out of the fire and God transforms them and a whole um, family can be transformed. Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and on. That, that, that God is working vertically making disciples. That means you can leave a legacy. That means like with, our, with this, this week, with Christmas Eve, there might be people who hear the gospel and respond to it for the first time and say, I want Jesus in my life. And that decision may change the course of children unborn. Is that powerful to you? 
generational inclusion. We want, to be our, we want to be a church. We're not just young. We're not just old. We're not just in the middle. We're all of it. Amen? And I want to have a legacy that goes on with my kids. We've got to be horizontal. Yes, we want to reach everybody, but we also got to think vertically. Future generations. Let's do the last one here. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. What's that getting at? Class inclusion. Typically be known as class or social classes. I'm not talking about like seniors versus sophomores or something. Or maybe that is at your school, I don't know. But there, there can be so much division culturally between the, the haves and the have-nots. And there can be such like a hierarchy that, that these people are socially supposed to stay here. And, and, and they're on the low man on the totem pole. And then there's these people on the high. And everyone's trying to climb the, the social ladder and the, the, the wealth ladder and the you know, political ladder. And we're all trying to climb these ladders in this world. And Jesus said, the first shall be last. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve, I came to disrupt and, and to, to flip in our minds and our hearts what, 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 um, what, what, God, what God has done for the world. God didn't create class systems to keep people down. We live in a world that there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and there's going to be people at the bottom, unfortunately. But he created a community that turns that upside down. The greatest need to use their power to serve the least. Amen? Class, social, inclusion. You can be, we can have people who are extremely wealthy here and people who have nothing or extremely in debt. We can have people who like have, you, have, you were born with social gifts. You were born in a family and in a background that you have every opportunity where someone else doesn't. And in the church, everything is even at the foot of the cross. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his book, he says, God doesn't have favorites. Don't you love that? I think the story of Matthew, his, his ancestry.com, reminds us that God doesn't play favorites. He breaks down barriers. He includes people. Amen. I want to ask you a question for just a moment to turn and talk. If you have social anxiety, that you're going to love this. Um, it'll just be for a few moments. But if you turn and talk with somebody, just for a moment. Um, well, the first let me ask you this first question. We know there's a lot of exclusion in our world, a lot of polarization and division. Um, people have to overcome boundaries to even enter the doors of a place like Whitewater. Boundaries in their mind, in their heart, boundaries in our culture. Um, what boundary did you have to work through to, be, to, to belong here? What, what boundary or boundaries were the biggest ones that you had to overcome to be here today, to be part of this family? Why don't you go ahead and turn and talk about that just for a moment. Ready? Go. Thank you.
Let me add one more question. Can I add one more question? Dang it. So we looked at barriers like generational barriers, ethnic barriers. Um, we looked at uh, class, gender. Um, you, you, with who you are and what you face in your life, what barrier are you most passionate about bringing oneness and unity, bringing inclusion to? What barrier are you most passionate about in, the, in a family like this? Even if you've just come today, you know, what would you love to see in a church? What, what um, area of inclusion are you most passionate about? Ready, go. finish your last thought. All right. My friend Tobin is, he has a microphone. We have just maybe a few people um, share what area you're most passionate about. And if you could just keep it brief so we could have a few people share, but what, what area of inclusion are you most passionate about? He's almost there. There you go. Thanks, Toby. Um, I'm passionate about diversity um, and more representation in the church. So uh, just people of all backgrounds, colors, genders, I mean, you name it. Thank you, Patrick. That's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, right here. Nice sweater, too. Thanks. It's tacos. It's pretty great. That's um. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm very passionate about language boundaries in the church because just because the words change when translating the Bible doesn't mean the message should change. Mm, cool. Thank you. That's really cool. You got time for one or two more. Right here. Fozzie Bear. <laughs> I'm really passionate about really the, the underlying theme of the church that you can belong before you believe because I think that separates a lot of us as you said uh, just coming into the church when you're not a believer makes you think that you're either not welcome or that you're not unworthy of being there and uh, I'm real passionate about that thank you Hayden that's awesome that's a good word we got time for maybe one more anybody else I'm going to call on someone who looks super introverted and they're like hiding right now they're like like, oh, yes, Sam. Uh, that we would, uh, yeah, not prejudge based on appearance of uh, attire or anything like that. That's huge, isn't it? Like, we can make such snap judgments. Friends, I, I just think it's so important 
that we take ownership, like belonging before you believe, being an inclusive community um, that's moving towards Jesus, that means that we want to be like Jesus and that he, like there, his teachings and his way are often better than like our way if we're off on our own. We're moving toward him. Um, but a community of transformation is a community that's inclusive and we have to own that. And it's really, I've noticed it's really easy for me to want other people to include me and to give me belonging, but sometimes it's more difficult to include others and to give other people the gift of belonging. And I just want to encourage us, it's Christmas, it's a season where people can feel more lonely than they've ever felt all year. Um, courts see way more uh, problems come through and they do a lot more um, they have just a, a ton of people come through the court system counselors see a lot of people come in through the November and December time uh, I, think, I think we feel like we should feel better during Christmas and sometimes because we feel we should feel better it makes us feel worse about ourselves and there's people that are struggling with loneliness isolation, d- division let's be uniters let's be, let's be a community of uncommon unity and bring people in. We got Christmas Eve services. We're going to have five of them because we want to be a community where people can experience this. They can meet somebody and they can start their journey wherever they're at. They can begin moving toward Christ and they can realize like, oh man, if, if Jesus had a, an ancestry like that, like me, then I can be part. If Jesus had disciples that had these struggles, then maybe I could be, become a Christ follower. I just want, I want people to experience that. And so I want to invite you to live a life of invitation. Let's bring people. Let's invite family members and friends to experience this. Because the church at its best, being a hospital for sick people, being a place where all are welcome and included, it's transformative. When we remember the Christmas story, we dare to remember this, that human superiority is crushed at the foot of the cross. Or not, oh, I'm, I can't think that, oh, I'm, more, I'm a better religious person because I went to seminary as a pastor, so I have more knowledge. Like that, that's, that attitude of superiority is crushed at the foot of the cross. I'm superior because of maybe some thought about uh, my race or ethnicity that's crushed at the foot of the cross. Bigotry is crushed at the foot of the, the cross. Classism, you know, like by wealth or social status, crushed at the foot of the cross. Sexism, crushed at the foot of the cross. Division, exclusion of all kinds, crushed at the foot of the cross. And a new community of the spirit where God has poured out on all people, inviting all people, is the good news of the gospel. Amen? So we are a community of uncommon unity, diversity, and inclusion. Paul writes it really well in Galatians 3.28. There is no Jew or Greek. Ethnic wall is gone. There's no slave or free. The class wall is gone. Male or female. The gender wall is torn down. Since you are all one in Christ. All. Ethnicity. Every person is one in Christ. Christmas Eve is an opportunity to bring people into that story, into the story of the bad ancestry, but the good future with Jesus. We're invited into the story of grace. Matthew shows how Jesus takes people through a discipleship journey to become part of the Father, Son, Spirit community and partnership, serving others. Just like the Father serves the Son, the Son serves the Spirit, Spirit serves the Father, all of them serving each other. We're part of this community that's serving and loving one another. It's based on inclusion, grace, partnership with God and with each other, and it removes self-righteous superiority. 
God's grace in Jesus invites any and all to begin a life with God together. Let's build this kind of community. Amen? I just wanted to finish with that. I don't think I, don't think I could be more happy inviting friends and family members to be part of something like this. It makes me very proud. It makes me very proud to have a, a daughter and a son that can be raised up generationally. In this week and in this year, maybe there's family members and friends that their legacy, like future generations, will be changed because you gave them belonging and inclusion. Um, this Christmas Eve, the sermon is, it, we're going to be doing something totally different than the last two weeks, and it's going to be a message of hope. It's going to be a message for um, the, the, um, the non-believer as much as it is the believer, and I want to invite you to participate and partner in that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. You're so so good to us. Thank you for this community and what you're doing in and through us. Thank you that we are one and we are unified in you. We're all unique, but we have unity because of Jesus. Amen.